Today in Agronomy on KFILAM AM 1060 with Pioneer Field Agronomist Allie Wise and Josh Schaffner. Here's Josh and Allie. Good morning, Southeast Minnesota. Today is June 30th. Josh, this is episode number 75. So a lot to talk about on today's show um, as we kind of enter the midway point of this growing season. Hard to believe, especially still sitting here um, at the end of June, but certainly things are progressing pretty quick throughout the area. I think, you know, it's been really interesting. It feels like throughout this whole growing season, we've kind of just been hanging on by a thread. I don't know if that's a good analogy to use. And certainly it felt that way before we got this nice uh, stretch of rain that, that varied in amounts between east of 52 and west of 52. Um, but but nice to capture some rain over these last couple of days. Um, so just maybe an update on where we're sitting GDU-wise and, and precipitation-wise. Yeah, it, it, um, yeah, it was kind of a great week here. Um, a little bit different week, GDU accumulation. We had a little bit of a a cool down from kind of the big heat swing we've had. And then we also picked up some rain across the area, which was great to see. Uh, starting with the GDUs, um, kind of where we're sitting right now across the area, just kind of averaging up all the locations we're monitoring. Uh, we're kind of sitting right around that 960, uh, 960 is where we're at. So really knocking on the door of a thousand. We'll probably be there uh, well before the end of this week. We'll get to the thousand mark, uh, which is great. And, and when you start thinking about that GDU accumulation of where we're at, I mean, <clears throat> Ellie, you and I were out in some corn yesterday and, you know, I'm six foot four tall and corn was right up to the top of my head. So getting pretty tall. And uh, if you kind of, you know, pair that to GDU wise, a lot of our 100, 102 day hybrids need about, you know, 1250 to get to, to tassel. So we're getting pretty close. Um, you know, kind of just playing that forward. We're probably 10 to 14 days, just depending on where you're at uh, from seeing some tassels. And in some cases, if we did plant a little bit of early corn right out of the gate, we could be a little ahead of that. So that's a great place to be. Uh, but yeah, talking about this this uh, mature of corn uh, still in the month of June is great to see. And, uh, you know, rainfall varied, you know, quite greatly across the listing area. Um, you know, kind of some of the, the locations we're monitoring, it ranged from 3.17 and in some cases all the way down to 0.64. And I think that probably covered a lot of the area. Uh, with that said, there might have been a few little areas that had a little bit more than rain than that. And uh, we also picked up here a little bit more, um, I think, in between our monitoring. So we might be able to add a little bit to that from when this was was put together. But uh, much needed rain alley. Uh, like you said, we were kind of hanging on by a thread. We need this precipitation. But uh, yeah, really great um, amount picked up. And in most cases, the ground took it really well. And now we're kind of sitting uh, really good as we head into pollination uh, season. Yeah. And I think, you know, just a follow up there, we've had a lot of questions on, we know we've been dry, but really the crop has held in relatively well, you know, and in terms of what we may be lost, always tough to say for certain, but I really don't think we lost much yield potential throughout this stretch. I think we're doing okay so far and certainly a tremendous amount of potential sitting in these fields across the listening area. Certainly that varies from field to field, but Overall, a general statement, things are looking pretty good, which is great to see. Um, did just want to jump into, before we maybe talk about corn rootworm observations, um, just some general root, corn roots in general prior to this rain coming into the into the profile. It's interesting that we're saying this, but we did start to see some sidewall compaction, kind of some hatchet roots, which would have been the last thing that one would have expected considering the conditions that we planted into, Josh. Yeah, I started digging some roots uh, last week, um, you know, for two reasons. Number one, I was just trying to get a gauge of how root development has been. And then we're kind of rolling into corn rootworm season, which we'll talk about here uh, a little bit as well. But, um, you know, one thing last week is out walking fields and they had the, the spade out and digging some roots was, um, well, the first one I was actually on a service call. They actually thought they might have had some um, 
um, feeding from black cutworm, which actually it turned out to be some rootless corn syndrome. But the one thing is, I was out digging some plants was that in a lot of fields, and this really doesn't matter if it's no-till or conventional tillage, you know, once your spade's getting down there three and a half, four inches, it just seems like we just hit a brick, just very hard ground uh, below that. And then once you dig some roots out, you kind of see the same thing, like you mentioned with the sidewall, um, just extremely hard. And in some cases, um, you know, roots were struggling to get through that. You see the hatchet or the mohawk roots. Uh, root depth, it was getting down there, but just a very narrow uh, root zone. And um, in some cases, usually when we talk about sidewall, we're kind of concerned about what were what was the planting conditions and we plant too wet. Um, Allie, in this case, I don't think we planted too wet. Um, just some some factors of really mellow soil when we planted, followed by that that hard rain to love the crusting. I think once we had that rain, that fine soil, it just kind of turned to some of our clay soils into kind of just pottery just really turn into a brick from what we can tell. Yeah, so it's really interesting and again, opposite of what we would think. But like you'd mentioned, we've actually come across this because we're out in fields uh, monitoring for rootworm feeding. So certainly we we don't want to ever talk about this until it's time time to start looking, but it is time to start monitoring, monitoring for feeding. Um, so really, you know, focus items for us, we're really targeting some of that long-term continuous corn for rootworm larvae and feeding. We've had some heavy larva counts, um, depending on what the management practices look like from field to field, you know, knowing that this winter likely didn't, didn't knock out um, populations back much and we didn't have any major rains that would have flooded out any of that egg hatch. So it's really important to be monitoring any long-term fields now um, and also trapping later this year to know what we need to do next year. But Josh, I know, you know, certainly as you get east of 52, corn rootworm can be a touch more prominent due to rotation. Um, any comments that you, you want to add there? Yeah, all, all good points. And then we've had concern about corn rootworm uh, kind of coming into the season here, just based off, like you mentioned, the, the um, the population increase followed by the mild winter. Um, I'm up against a break here. When we come on a break, we'll talk about what we're seeing for corn pressure and talk about some of the feeding and also talk about some of the, the scouting methods to use a grower, which you can be looking for here uh, the next uh, 14 days. Welcome back, Southeast Minnesota. Um, Allie, uh, we kind of got up against a break there just as we're getting into our, our corn rootworm conversation there. Uh, we kind of mentioned, you know, some of the root development challenges that we're seeing as a result of kind of the, the soil conditions and kind of that really hot and dry weather we encountered in June. Um, kind of something we, we stumbled across is we're maybe out there starting to look for some corn rootworm activity. And uh, obviously, as we, especially as we get east of 52, where we got a little bit higher percentage of corn on corn acres, we've been concerned. And in some cases, Allie, where we knew we had some high pressure last year based on trapping, where we knew we got corn again, uh, we did some training here this week and, and dug some roots and uh, activity seemed really high based on what we, we observed across Southeast Minnesota here, uh, based on some of the fields we targeted. Yeah. So like we said, I think, you know, action item is just to scout and understand what that pressure looks like. Um, certainly it depends on the scenario of your field. We had a few scenarios where maybe a lesser traded version was put accidentally on a corn on corn field, um, had an application of Laura's ban and had significant root feeding that you know, should the wrong wind event come through, it could be be a bad situation. We had another situation where there was a double version of a product on a field um, with force. And it was really interesting to see the differences between the two. A lot of active larva feeding on both, but the control from the force was certainly uh, more positive than what we saw from the other scenario. So, you know, just taking a, an eye on some of those differences between the two, um, spending some time in your cornfields, help, helping us to know what to look or give us a call if you need help knowing what to look for too. But I think something to consider is just thinking about what could this look like from an adult management standpoint? Should we see a lot of feeding in these fields, Josh? 
Yeah, for sure. And I think the action item, and I know um, you know, we're all probably guilty, Ellie, that we maybe this time of year don't walk our cornfields as much as we could. But uh, I think any producer that has some corn on corn, um, you don't got to go crazy or go hiking, you know, miles and miles, but you're getting out in corn and cornfields and maybe just grabbing four or five rip balls. And, 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 and Ellie, I think you could do this in field. I think just taking a look at, you know, get that plant dug up good. And I don't think you got to go through all the work of hauling them home, taking water, wash them, unless you find something. We're just looking for active larvae activity. And, and Ellie, where we had pressure, it wasn't hard to find them. We could find them right in the field, dig the root up, you know, shake some of their off, take a look, and, and you can see if they're active. And then we could see the feeding uh, pretty easily. So that's a good action item just to scout for. But obviously, if we're seeing a lot of larvae feeding, and if we know that, hey, um, number one, uh, I'm seeing enough larvae that, you know, maybe I'm seeing 10, 12 larvae a plant, which we saw some of that during our training. Allie, that could be something where, hey, we're going to have a lot of beetles that could impact silk feeding along the way too, that if I am going to do a fungicide, a tassel, maybe, you know, adding insecticide to control adult beetles. The other side of that, Allie, even if we if we know that farm is targeted for corn on corn again next year, regardless, you know, it could be a great way to add insecticide just to try to manage that population um, you know, year after year as well, which that can be a great uh, management tool, not a cure-all, um, but it is, uh, you, know, you look at best management practices and managing population, uh, adult beetle control of fungicide can be a, a great way to try to knock a few beetles off along the way. Yeah. So we've got a couple more weeks of feeding here, I would say. So just get out there, mm-hmm. let us know where we can help as well, you know, from a corn wortworm perspective and just kind of yeah. set in the expectations of where yeah. our fields might be. Sitting. And a lot of the larvae were probably, I'm going to guess between an eighth and a quarter inch long. So very easy to find. And, uh, and, you know, we were using kind of some black trash bags just to kind of, as we were shaking dirt off, we could see a little bit easier. That could be, you know, taking something like just a black little bag or something out there with you could be a great scouting method uh, to go out there and see if you can see some active larvae in your corn on corn fields. Yeah. So kind of moving on from corn rootworm into the fungicide side of things, hard to believe that we're having that discussion already, but Josh, you know, from a soybean perspective, staging wise, depending on which planning date you got in on with your soybeans. Um, yesterday we were out in some fields and we actually found some soybeans that were sitting at R2 stage. So we're getting really close to thinking about making some of those soybean fungicide applications. Um, and really, I mean, certainly want to get your take, but my opinion on soybean fungicide timing is everything. So really want to make sure we're focused on hitting the R3 stage in soybeans when we think about making those applications um, to really have the most positive return on our investment there. Any additional thoughts? Uh, yeah, for sure. It kind of, a, you know, the, the bean crop looks really great. Some of the beans have really taken off here. And um, I know we were looking at some early planted beans yesterday, Allie, and and, and some stuff that, you know, um, pretty good growing conditions where this was at. But yeah, they were knee high. Um, so very big beans, uh, like you said, all of R2. And we anticipate those to probably get to R3 in the next seven or so days, which that'll trigger that timing you mentioned. And when it comes to soybean fungicide, there's really, um, I'm not going to make any varietal decisions or, or certain, you know, growing conditions, I'm really just going to target, hey, if we can nail that R3 timeframe, um, I'm going to go ahead and, and, and probably suggest growers to do that. We've seen really good return with those applications across the board. And, uh, but you got to hit that window. You start missing that. You want to hit that R3 to R4. If you're too early, too late, we, we see diminishing returns really fast on that. And uh, the other side of it is it's just what a great situation to have beans at this stage and still the month of June, if we can put fungicide on them, extend that growing season, you know, we have the whole month of July and August and early September to, to harvest sunlight on these. And, uh, you know, that's really what really drives bean yields is can we get to canopy really fast? And then at that point, can we keep them healthy and, and basically just put, let those leaves do what they do best, just act as solar panels and, and punch on yield. But, uh, you know, there can still be challenges. So I got to think about, you know, the rain and white mold, other things, but, uh, 
yeah, just in a great position on the soybeans and the other part of an alley uh, to kind of close out the show, corn fungicide decisions are coming up on us too. Yeah, corn fungicides, you know, I'd say the next 10, 14 days, we could be looking at making those applications. So as we come back to next week's show, we'll be sure to dig a little deeper into what this growing season and the yield potential may mean for return on investment of corn fungicides. You've been listening to Today in Agronomy on KFIL AM 1060. If you've missed part of the show or want to hear more, check out the show page at kfilradio.com or with the 103.1 KFIL app. Stay connected with Allie and Josh on Twitter. It's at Allie G-Wise, W-I-S-E, and at Josh Schaffner to submit your questions for the show. Tune in next Wednesday for the next Today in Agronomy on KFIL AM 1060 